0: Woo! You are tuned in to The Great Escape. The Great Escape. (laughs) Understand why Mariah was including tissue boxes as she was sending out um, copies of her memoir to, you know, different people within the industry. Sort of in the same vein as Beyonce with those Ivy um, Park boxes. Speaking of, <laughs> Mariah just made me giggle a little bit um, over this week because Beyonce actually wound up sending Mariah an Ivy Park box. <laughs> and while everybody else when they get their ivy park box they are gagging and you know they immediately you know jump into all the fits and show everybody on social media of course mariah does not do athleisure honey diva extraordinaire i don't know she said ro get your love behind in here and make yourself useful and she basically just let her daughter play in the clothes just for you know shits and giggles and it's just like i don't obviously i don't feel like this was a shady move but like sometimes Brian can just be so like unintentionally shady because there's just it's just, just i don't know it just made me laugh there's just so much there but um yeah uh like i was lit- like I, I i haven't finished listening to the audiobook i which at this point I, I figured that i would have like i've uh, i've had the audiobook for a little while now. Granted, it is eleven hours long, like worth of audio, so it, it does take a while to get through. But listening to the that chapter, the father and the sunset, and hearing Mariah like get emotional and choked up as she's like, you know, because she she um, narrates it. I was loud enough to sit up here and get to crying <sighs> okay. But just getting back on track with where I left off. I felt it was really important for me to include that clip um, where Mariah was, you know, she was, that was an interview from good morning America back in 93, right after she had just gotten married to Tommy. And I just feel like that really, it, 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 exemplified their relationship in a nutshell. Like, her, like, knee-jerk reaction to be like, oh, okay, you you are the boss. Okay, you happy? Like, to, to have to correct herself and to know, like, oh, he's going to be upset with me if I don't refer to him as the boss. Let me clear that up now so it's not an issue, you know, when I get <laughs> when we cut these mics off and cut these cameras off. And, and just having to, like, be conscientious and, like, walk on eggshells because as she's shared, Tommy just being a bit of, like, a loose cannon and having, you know, so many triggers and Mariah not maybe being sure um, what sets him off. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with Mr. Matola, Michael Jackson, you know, famously referred to him as the devil. Um, He even talked about how I... uh, Him and Mariah, I mean, she doesn't really talk a whole lot about um, their relationship. You know, I, I guess you want to keep some things to yourself, but he said that Mariah had contacted him and had told, like, was crying over the phone and saying that, like, Tommy had tapped, you know, the phone lines and was, you know, which, which Mariah got deeper into in, in the memoir. Which is just just the, the level of, like, the, the, the hold he had on her. Um, yeah. Very interesting to hear him talk about that. Tommy Mottola, he's known for, you know, uh, I don't, again, I don't know if my audience is familiar with, you know, certain acts like, you know, Teddy Mellencamp or, um, you know, some, some other people, but he was like the head honcho at Sony. Like, and as Mariah puts it, nobody in the music industry was as powerful as him, and there's nobody to date who is that powerful anymore. It just doesn't exist. That's a direct quote. It does not exist. Um, which I was like, woo. And, you know, Mariah, although people like to take her as just some ditzy bimbo, you know, that's that's a smart cookie. And I, I didn't really delve too much into, like, just the networking and the work that it took just for her to get to this little industry party where she, you know, haphazardly ended up giving Tommy Matola her tape. But, you know, she... She talked a lot, even like within her early, you know, introduction into, um, you know, just pro- professionalism and, and becoming a singer on a professional level, how the industry is designed to confuse and control the artists. And there's a lot of people with a lot of cruel intentions who just want to work you and make money off of you and exploit you. And it's just a very dirty, seedy industry. And, and she always understood that. Uh, and I have two words just from, what's his name? Ben Margulies. Yeah. Is it, is it Ben? Hold on, let me look that up because I don't want to be inflammatory now. I just want to make sure I know what I'm talking about. Because every time I crack the mic, it has to be actual and factual. Um, Yeah. But yeah, if you can, you all, Google him, Ben Marklees. And, and, mm-hmm. Fuck him. That's all I got to say. Okay. Um, but I think what's particular. What, what, okay. The information, the new information we got, look, because Mariah has always talked about her time with Tommy as being abusive and feeling really just trapped in that relationship for a number of reasons. Like, um, I think her mom said it best in the interview with, you know, again, Barbara Walters if he can make a career, he can break a career. And I'm sure sort of Mariah felt strong arm to do certain things because i'm sure she had to think like in the back of her mind like if i don't you know go along to get along is this going to have a negative impact on my career how 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 am i gonna have to pay for you know um being strong-willed and exercising my no so naturally just kind of acquiescing and you know she describes him you you know I, i all abusers and, and manipulators are very nice and charming in the beginning, um, but people can only fool you but for so long and hide their true colors but for so long until the the tick starts to to show. Um. So getting married, as I said, was a means of, for Mariah in her mind, getting that grip a little bit loosened. He was starting to really kind of just get this tight hold on her. And like, again, she's very vague, so, you know, I, I didn't really get like a... <laughs> I think to her, she felt like because people have the perception that, you know, Mariah was just this gold digging, you know, princess who managed to, you know, get the, the sights of this head music executive and got him to finance her project and basically put her on. And, you know, on one hand, you have to give Tommy the credit he did notice the potential, and and he did invest and promote in a way that people in the industry just don't anymore. Nobody takes the time out to really like you know invest in a rollout. Like I'm talking like millions of dollars on like big budget videos, and and just you know the meticulousness of it all, just to, to really develop an artist and control the base and the the output, and like people just aren't able to to do things like that anymore. Um, so that really can't be discarded but the price oh the price um what I think was also particularly salient with me just after listening to a couple chapters of the audiobook is um Mariah's faith I think is one of her most admirable characteristics and has gotten her through it all because it has been one predator. One abuser, one just like bad person after another after another, whether it be just family members, whether it be just, you know, awful people who she happened to have just in her sphere. And and just like now with this MF Tommy. Um there definitely as she said in her song, Can't Take That Away, there is a light in her. Like there there is um and she's I think even cognizant of it, and she's always kind of um and grounded herself in faith, and that's really served as her armor through it all um so her and Tommy got married, like I said, in ninety three and i'm- t- this was like i'm just such. I mean the spectacle it was I mean they had um Robert De Niro as his best man for Christ's sake. I mean uh uh, uh Bruce Springsteen and Barbara Streisand were there and it, I mean it was just like this lavish I mean it was for show. Like a lot of I think what we like I said this whole like diva thing that we associate Mariah with like it is for show. That that's like that's not even like a real like yes Mariah is Diva, I mean she walks on her tippy toes and you know she 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 has that like that's just that's the innate part of her but like so much of this industry is just like you gotta see through the smoke in the mirrors. Um there that wasn't a real relationship, obviously. Uh she was uh a trophy wife and uh making billions of dollars for the she was a star on the Sony label. And I'm sure Tommy felt like it would be easier to control her having her in his grasp and uh kind of just under his thumb because I think he was afraid of all that she could be. And I guess like what Mariah having a, a free mind and 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 being able to make decisions for herself. Well, we can't have that. So um she talked about, like, there were little things that he would do. Like, she would maybe, like, get up from the bed in the middle of the night to maybe, like, go to the restroom. Or maybe, you know, with Mariah, she, she's always inspired by she hearing things and, and lyrics and, and, you know, melodies. So maybe she would get out of bed to start working on a song. And then in the intercom, she'd hear, beep, beep, beep. What are you doing? Well, I don't know, darling. What do you think? <laughs> Oh my god like how weird like the bitch can't just get up to like i mean you is, is it not enough that you have her trapped in this this what she refers to their home up in upstate or their former home has since been destroyed but um as sing sing after the the prison and you know you have a, a whole staff of armed guards that answer to you like what could she possibly be doing sir i mean really like, it, just the, the obsessiveness of it. Like, like the man really just... I, and it was so interesting when Mariah said that he was the one who uh, decided that they should go to therapy. So I'm like, so he has a therapist and he's still acting this way. Something ain't working. Maybe he needs to see a different doctor. I don't know. But, yeah, the man just has issues, needless to say. I think what kind of capped things off for Mariah was kind of like a moment where she was like, okay, I have to kind of get serious and get real with myself about my circumstances and how this is just not sustainable. Um, I don't know if it was Thanksgiving is canceled, which is a whole story that y'all can look up where she got in trouble for answering a a fucking question. Like... And yes, you did hear me right. I did say trouble, as if Mariah is a 10-year-old kid getting in in trouble for having cookies before dinner. Like, she's a grown-ass woman who's paying for half of everything in this home and funding her lifestyle and she's like being treated like a kid. Um, Getting, again, in trouble because Tommy was vehemently against Mariah ever being in movies, acting, because that was not his world and that I think he associated that with him not being in control, and not having control is a trigger for Tommy. And so she wouldn't know about certain roles. Like things were maybe offered that made other people stars. She was, un, you know, unbeknownst to she would have, you know, gladly taken roles. Mariah, you know, she she even said that she enjoyed doing, you know, the the Precious project because that was like an artistic stretch, which is very fulfilling to her. She likes to challenge herself. Um, but I. uh, there's so many points I want to hit on. I'm trying to keep everything straight in my brain. Um, uh, but I think what, what was really like, what, what, what capped it all off was when she had invited um, Jermaine Dupree, DeBrat, and Escape to Sing Sing for a remix of Always Be My Baby. And upon entry, you know, this grand house, and it's just, I mean, lavish and palatial and just the pinnacle of opulence. And this story actually made me so much more endeared to Brad. Like, I've heard this story before a million times, but for those of you who don't know. So, you know, I think Tommy, Tommy also, he's righteous as hell. Okay. Um... Mariah just said that he tried, she described him as like he, he tried to like wash the black off of her. Um, she talked about how he wouldn't like for her to have her hair straightened because to him, I guess it didn't look like it was like naturally straight. It looked like it was like straightened. And so he preferred for her to, you know, have curlier hair because he wanted her to look more Italian. And that's just one example of how they would like try to like play with her ambiguity and her bi- her interracial identity. And, and just the, it's like I could go on, but just the complexities of that and in terms of how they would market her based on like, okay, we want her to, you know, be, we're, we're setting her up to be mainstream, which in mainstream means white audience because music is very segregated, which we all know. And so, um, but Mariah being, you know, the, juggernaut that she is and having that um, inclination towards you know, more so urban contemporary versus say adult contemporary Um, having to fight, you know just to get certain remixes out and just to work with certain artists like ODB, Mason Locks um, um, Bone Thugs and uh I keep getting distracted. I want to tell the story about sing um, when Xscape, JD, Jermaine Dupri, and Debrat, Tat Tat, went to Sing Sing to record this um, remix, like I said, for Always Be My Baby. Um, so, I don't, yeah, this was like, I think, a really like, it was a moment, I think, for Mariah where... Other people were able to see the reality that she was living in, and like she was almost kind of like becoming aware of like, oh, this this is not okay. Like I'm having an outsider's perspective, and now like I'm somebody else sees my reality, and they're like, sis, what the fuck is going on? And now I have to look at this and be like, sis, what the fuck is going on? So, you know, uh, <laughs> like escape, JD, a uh, brat. Um, so taken by, you know, this home that's, again, for show, everything is, like, smoke and mirrors, it's, like, all the, it's a theme you all, like, this house, obviously, it's, this is not a home, like, who, who needs a house this it's just, it's, it's excessive. Um, I felt the need to talk about Tommy being racist, uh, because, I think, because we have this group of black people, these urban people come into this house that, like, already had him on edge, and so maybe security was already a little extra tense this day, um, And mind you, the security is comprised of people from Tommy's, like, circle, who were, like, off-duty police officers. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Yes, I'm not. So, um, you know, Mariah's giving a tour and taking them around and, you know... Honestly, they just wanted to smoke a little bit and crank out this remix and just kind of have a good time and hang and chill with, you know, at the time, like the the, the bitch of the industry. Okay. Mar- Mariah fucking Carey. Um, and so DeBrat and her kind of she Brat and her really kind of hit it off immediately. And uh, Mariah kind of got her to where um, it was just the two of them because she knew, you know, being conscious always of having security around her. And uh, they kind of like devised this plan to take one of her cars, which she wasn't allowed to drive off of the properties, to get some damn french fries. Mariah had a taste for some french fries and wanted to just like break free. Um, So her and Brad got the keys and dropped that top and managed to get away. And Mariah was just having the time of her life of a caged bird, finally able to fly, wind blowing through the hair, got the music bumping. Uh, you know, Brat is just, I'm sure, like a ball of fun, the way Mariah describes her. And, bing! Call from JD. Y'all, get the fuck back here. Security's going crazy. They got guns and shit. They ask me what the fuck is going on. Like, it's some serious shit. And Brat's like, what? Like, they, I think... Like, I think at first, they didn't really, like, understand, like, the severity of it. But, like, Jermaine, like, kept calling and kept calling and kept... Like, the phone did not stop ringing. And they were like... And Brad was like, bitch, like, this is ridiculous. Over some damn french fries? You can't leave the house to get some fucking french fries? That's causing all of this? Oh, you need to get the fuck up out of here. Like, this is not healthy. This is not conducive to your well-being. Like, what are you doing? And I think Mariah kind of had to, like recline in that chair and be like damn like i mean somebody else is seeing it too and bringing it to my attention this has been kind of normal for me for so long and sometimes you just kind of need like the outsider's perspective to kind of like show you like oh no like you (laughs) you're so like just immune to your own shit and like unaware of your surroundings because you're just in it you don't even realize it you look at me and see the girl who lives inside the golden world. But don't believe that's all there is to see. You'll never know the real me. She smiles through a thousand tears and harbors adolescent fears. She dreams of all that she can never be. She wades in insecurity and hides herself inside of me. Those are the lyrics to one of Mariah's, like, most favorite deep cuts from the Lambs looking in it's off of the Daydream album. Um and you know this period that I was just talking to you all about, this was Mariah at her peak. She had just released Daydream and for those of you who aren't familiar with Mariah's discography, Daydream was the album where she, you know, Fantasy was the lead single and she had that remix with ODB which was a huge crossover hit. Um and, and to the outside world, you know, Mariah Carey, at this point in her career, literally was on the top of her game. She was fresh off. She had just uh, written a Christmas classic that would secure her the bag for the rest of her career. She, you know, had just released a huge album, um, One Sweet Day off of that album also. I think that was, that's what garnered her the longest-running number one on the Billboard Hot 100 um, charts only to be replaced by Lil Nas X as of recently with Lil, uh, Old Town Road, but well, that's okay. We, we we pass the torch when it's deserved. Um, but yes, that's looking in is probably if not if not my favorite Mariah song. One of my favorite Mariah songs, next to probably outside in eighth grade because those like that song probably like when I, when people say that like music. Saved them. I feel like that song saved me at a particular time when I those lyrics really, really, really resonated with me, and I really felt like I was almost like Mariah has no business putting my like, my business on French Street like that. And it was like, oh my goodness, how? And I was I used to think to myself too, like, how does somebody like Mariah Carey, who is so beautiful, who is so wealthy, who's so talented, who's so who's so who's so who's so, who's so how could she possibly know? I mean, she wrote these lyrics. How does she know what this is like? But she she certainly does um i i think to myself it must have been a struggle for her to even get that song on the album um because she and she even said like she wrote that song in like 15 minutes cuz it was something that had just poured out of her and um while she wouldn't maybe be so quick to uh she had to pick her fights so maybe she's not fighting to get french fries at burger king but she's fighting to get certain songs on her album you know having to pick her battles Um, she wrote I just had the page damn it and uh, I let it go just to give greater context in the book Um, page 98 in the uh, the chapter a prelude to Sing Sing I was living my dream but couldn't leave my house lonely and trapped I was held captive in that relationship captivity and control come in many forms but the goal is always the same to break down the captive's will to kill any notion of self-worth and erase the person's memory of their own soul i'm still not sure of the toll it takes i'm sure i'm still not sure of the toll it it has taken on me how much of me was permanently destroyed or arrested perhaps among other things my ability to completely trust people or to fully rest but thankfully i smuggled myself out bit by bit through the lyrics of my songs She quoted lyrics to Close My Eyes. I left the worst unsaid, let it all dissipate, and I tried to forget as I closed my eyes. I sang some of what I couldn't say. Though I do try, I cannot forget. Sometimes without warning, I am haunted by a nightmare or flashes of suffocating. Sometimes I still feel the heaviness. Sometimes I have no air. And (laughs) yeah, um, quite intense, quite intense. Um, so much I want to say about that. Um, (sighs) I'm like, where to, where to begin, where to begin. A prelude to Sing Sing. Nearing the edge, oblivious, I almost fell right over a part of me will never be quite able to feel stable close my eyes even now it's hard to explain to put into words how i existed in my relationship with tommy Matola. it's not that there are no words it's just that they still get stuck moving up from my gut or they disappear into the thickness of my anxiety tommy's energy was intense more than overbearing for me it was an entire atmosphere Even before he would enter the room, I could sense the air change and my breath grow short. He rolled over me like a fog. His presence felt dense and oppressive. He was like humidity, inescapable. Never when I was with him did I feel I could breathe easy and fully as myself. His power was pervasive, and it came with an unspeakable unease. In the beginning of our time together, I was walking on eggshells. Then it became a bed of nails. And then a minefield i never knew when or what would make him blow and the anxiety was relentless in the eight years we were together i can't recall 10 minutes with him when i felt i could be comfortable when i could simply be at all i felt his grip was steadily choking me off from my essence i was disappearing in installments it felt like he was cutting off my circulation keeping me from friends and what little family i had couldn't talk to anyone that wasn't under Tommy's control. I couldn't go out or do anything with anybody. I couldn't move freely in my own house. Many nights, I would lie on the side of our massive bed under which I would keep my purse filled with essentials just in case I had to make a quick escape, my to-go bag. I had to wait for him to fall asleep, keeping my eyes locked on him. I would gradually inch my way to the edge of the bed and surgically roll my hips and swing my legs to the floor never breaking my gaze I tiptoe backward toward the door which seemed a full city block away ever so carefully I back out of the door it was such a victory when I made it out of the room I softly creep down the grand dark wood staircase like a burglar stealing a little piece of mind then make my way to somewhere in the manor Often I would just wanted to go to the kitchen for a snack or to sit at the table and write down some lyrics. But every time, right as I would start to settle into the calm of the quiet dark and begin to find my breath, beep beep, the intercom would go off. I'd jump up and the words, what you doing? would crackle through the speaker and I'd gasp and once again lose my own air. Every move I made, everywhere I went, I was monitored minute by minute Day after day, year after year. It felt as if I was being crushed right out of myself. Everything he felt he didn't create or control was dead, was being strangled away. I created the fun and free girl in my videos so that I could watch a version of myself be alive, live vicariously through her, the girl I pretended to be, the girl I wish, I wished was me. I would view my videos as evidence that I existed. It is no secret, no, that Mariah has been speaking to us through her lyrics since forever. So a lot of what we're getting, like, actual stories and greater context for, we already kind of had, like, bits and pieces and were able to uh, uh, read between the lines for years now. So a lot of this is not surprising, but, like... I had even read, um, you know, prior to even reading this book, an article where she had described, similarly to what I just read, about that that whole uh, having that, that to-go bag. And, and having a desire, I think she said, to not actually be kidnapped, but to, in a sense, be like kidnapped and swept away. Like, she always had, like she said, her essentials in her bag, and she just hoped, wished, prayed, someone would just... Snatch her up and away, like that. That song, Dream Lover, Dream Lover, come rescue me. Take me up, take me down, take me anywhere you want. Like that's that's not a love song. That's actually like her saying, Dream Lover, come get me up out of sing sings prison I'm in with this abusive ass man who literally is controlling my career and like I want to leave him, but I know that I, it's not just leaving the relationship by leaving this marriage. I'm also going to have to like sever my relationship with the record label, which he's also like the head of, which is not going to be an easy task because I, again, I'm making billions of dollars for the. I'm the number one artist on this label. So they're not going to want to let me go. I still have, you know, more obligations in terms of my contract. So it's a very, very sticky situation to be in, but it was not sustainable. Like Mariah said, this was slowly like, killing her and eventually she did find what she described to be a catalyst to help her um with this uncoupling both professionally and personally and his name was dj uh, derek jeter Now, I just want to be clear about something here. At no point in Mariah's life did some man ride up on some white horse and save her. Okay, every single time, this woman had to be her own savior and rescue herself. So while Derek Jeter was a catalyst, understand and recognize he was just that a catalyst. Okay, not a savior. Mariah got herself up and out of Sing Sing. Okay, I just want to make sure that (laughs) that was clear. But um, (laughs) she is so shady. So, when she talked about first meeting Derek. She described him as pedestrian. <laughs> um, okay. So on page 189 um, from the chapter, The Man from Kalamazoo. So just to set this up, um, like, I feel like towards about like ni- the year 95, 96, bleeding into 97, like, oh, maybe that's not accurate time frame but there was a period where like even both mariah and tommy were kind of understanding that this relationship was not going to last for the foreseeable future whether or not they wanted they wanted to admit it to themselves they understood and um it was actually was didn't she say it was tommy who had um suggested that they had gone to therapy to go see his therapist uh as i said which is just weird to think that he was in therapy and still just had so many mm, issues Um, but, uh, the therapist was really the one to like help. Cause she was, she even had this one moment where it was just her and the therapist and she was like, why can't he just let me like go out with like a couple of my friends to like hang out or go to Burger King to get some French fries or like, like why, like why is he this way? And she was like, "Hun, this is not normal. And I mean, like, in any sense, this whole equation, none of this is normal. And just having to understand Mariah's never really had a barometer for what is normal. And maybe not understanding that, like, oh, this isn't normal. Um, So... Tommy was allowing Mariah to, like, part of, like, this release period, he was like, okay, you can go and start doing, like, acting classes, which is what she wanted to do. Because as, at this time, as I said, she was not allowed to act. There were roles that were being offered, but she knew nothing of them. Tommy was, you know, not allowing that. But he was like, letting her go and start taking acting classes and starting to, like, go out, unwatched, no security, like, like, slowly letting her, like, live. Christ. And, and so, Okay. Here we are. She's on 189. She says, though I was still being watched. Okay, actually she was still being watched at this time. I felt lighter than I had in a long time. I felt young and unchained. It was not uncommon for a dinner party of this kind to have guests come and go and waves. So when Derek Jeter and his friend came in and sat down across from me at the table, they didn't command any of my attention. I found them both ambiguous. After I briefly glanced up at them, I thought, who are these guys? My attention went right back to the more interesting dinner guests. I was never drawn to the jock type, not even in high school, where athletes were at the top of the food chain. Derek and his friend were no exception to my rule. His Armani suit didn't cover up the Kalamazoo in him. He didn't have the New York slick vibe that I had become so accustomed to. I'm not being shady, but he had on pointy shoes. Artists can be very tribal, and compared to the hip-hop and R&B stars, models, fashionistas, and cool kids in every hue at the table, the two of them... Uh, presented as rather pedestrian (laughs) um so okay i'm gonna continue the rest the restaurant was moody but our table was buzzing and and at some point the conversation moved to inconspicuous blackness passing but with more nuance i was riveted we discussed who we thought was secretly black or who else could have some black running through them how they might or might not identify and how they were often misidentified. I had never had an open conversation about biracial or multiracial aesthetics ever. My parents didn't have the language for it and Tommy never wanted to talk about my biracial identity. If he wasn't ashamed of it, he certainly didn't want to promote it. I couldn't believe it. It was my first night out without him. And suddenly I was in a dialogue about race and identity with young, smart and creative people. Eventually the debate turned to me. One of the guys from Armani said he couldn't tell if I was part black. No parts of him were black, by the way, for context. Uh, Wanya wasn't having it. Uh, His voice got up in uh, his high register. Nah, come on, man. We all know. How can you not know? I was laughing, but I was also deeply interested. As if on cue, another person from the Armani team chimed in. Mm, notice that, as if on cue. I just want to let y'all know this, this was all calculated if you didn't know, but I'm going to keep reading. Um, Derek, your mother's Irish and your dad's black, right? Like, so what do you think about all of this? All of a sudden, it was like the moment in The Wizard of Oz when the secret went from black and white to technicolor. I was in a new moment and in an, a new room. It was a new night and perhaps a new world. When I heard Irish mother and Black father, my head snapped up involuntarily and turned towards Derek, our eyes locked. A deeply suppressed sadness I had buried inside since the first painful blow from someone saying I was not white enough or Black enough, which translated into not good enough, both rose and began to dissolve, and a longing to connect took its place. It was as if I suddenly could see him. Derek was definitely no longer pedestrian— "'He was closer to a Prince Charming. "'This first moment of connection was so profound. "'I had created an endless number "'of romantic moments in my songs, "'and I had been incredibly sad for so long. "'Finally, it was as if I was living a dream. "'I saw his eyes, enormous twinkling jade pearls "'floating in a golden brown pool.' It was as if there was no one else in the restaurant or the universe. We began talking across the table. The banter was lightweight, sparkly, and deeply flirtatious. I couldn't recall the last time if there had ever been one that I'd felt butterflies talking to a man. Hmm. Imagine a world like that, L. Ariana said. The rest of the evening, we talked soft and easy. Eventually, I realized how oh, aware any. Uh, eventually, I realized how aware everyone was of our attraction, but I didn't care. This was my night out, and I was feeling. This is my night. Okay, I'm gonna stop <laughs> with all the barra. Okay, okay, this was my night out, and I was feeling the sweetness of freedom, the rush of, and allure of it all. I knew I was being watched, but to hell with that. Derek was young, mixed, ambitious, and doing his dream job just like me. In the midst of all the people, lights, and music, it felt like we were the only ones in the world. Even though it was just a flicker, it was still fire. Brazen as it was, I allowed Derek to walk me to the car, where a driver, a.k.a. Tommy's agent, of course, was waiting. Being with him in that moment felt like living. I'll never forget walking next to him that night, looking up at him, with his height, and the way his athletic body moved. (laughs) So descriptive. I felt uh, diminutive next to him. It was such a different experience. The two-minute stroll on the pavement was more exhilarating to me than walking a thousand staged red carpets. Mm. It was a real moment. I was loose on the streets of New York, the sultry late-night breeze blowing my hair and pressing the delicate jersey of my dress against my body. I actually felt good, unencumbered. Oh, Mariah. So yes, Derek kind of served as this like biracial prince charming in the sense that like he his his background literally mirrored Mariah's. Never before had she known of like a lot of other mixed people, and to have this guy who's mixed and it's the same as me—mother's Irish, father's black—living um, his dream job. It's like, oh my goodness! Like, I mean, could it not be more ideal? Like, I can actually identify with somebody because Mariah had even I've seen some interviews where she's been promoting the book. And she even said that, like, it was almost like a complex for her feeling like Derek was just like this, this like needle in a haystack. He was like this. Like, he just represented so much to her because she felt like she would always feel inferior to her partner. Not being exactly one thing or another, and always feeling like her partner, I guess, would feel superior to her if they were just one thing. I, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not biracial, so certain, I mean, I don't know if I could quite completely understand where she's coming from, but I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, so this, this s- sparked her, her, um, Romance with Derek. And as I, I pointed out, this was like, I mean, I'm, I don't want to get ahead of myself. I do want to explore a little bit more in detail their romance. Because, I mean, like, just the way it was written is just so like, huh. Um, but this this was a, a staged kind of a, a moment. Like, Derek had, I guess, you know, his people talk with her people. And he wanted to meet her. He was he was a fan. You know, he, he used to listen to, I uh, think he told her, anytime you need a friend before every baseball game. And like you know, I, I don't know if he had like posters up of her, but like you know he he was he was a fan, and you know this this whole segment where we're talking about mariah's relationship with men, it's so interesting to me because it just feels like there's just been this string of masculine betrayal in Mariah's life, whether it be from her brother who was wildly aggressive in their household, fighting with her father, whether it be her father who yes. He was in her life he wasn't like absentee the way that certain people tried to portray which i think was there was some racial undertones there but i'm gonna be quiet he was not an absentee father but as mariah grew older that you know they just had such stark differences and 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 other you know just communication issues perhaps so as she got older they they, they kind of um their their roads diverged in a sense um with Tommy being the abuser, the racist, manipulator, and just whole hotbed of crazy that he was. And and now with Derek, it's like, ah, oh, and I, I can't even forget, you know, that that harrowing chapter where, you know, she explored why she's eternally 12. And kind of, I mean, in reading between the lines, I can assume, because she spoke about being made fun of for being a virgin um, back in, like, her her... New York hustle days like I don't know she had shared with a friend that she was a virgin and some people had like made fun of her for that or whatever she had mentioned in the book um and she had said publicly that Tommy Mottola was the first man that she had went to bed with and of course seeing you know her sister being promiscuous and being pregnant at 15 and like just knowing that like just being hyper aware in the sense that like okay I'm never going to be there. I'm going to be like the opposite of that um, and and like I said, having that experience at twelve, where I think we can guess that that was her her first kiss with with that pimp in that car, and things could have taken another turn, but thankfully did not. Um, and even now with Derek, you know, yes, he's expressing interest, and there's a mutual interest there, and this seems like a a a. a this could be potentially a healthy, you know, relationship, but there's still with her now being Mariah Carey. There's like this idolization factor, and I don't want to get ahead of myself. We'll start talking about her relationship with Nick Cannon. We'll get there, but it's like, and she hinted like like she wants someone who cares for her and maybe doesn't idolize her, and 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 it's very easy as a woman to become a notch on someone's belt. Um, so marinate on that if you will but it's 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 like damn like it's 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 like mariah can just never seem to like find authentic true or maybe she has not with brian but it's like it's just been a journey towards getting to a place where the power dynamics are somewhat even and where you know somebody actually cares for her mariah carey the person it's like she said i'll get there but it's like. Part of the reason why she identified someone with Marilyn Monroe, one school of thought that they shared was like, you know, you go to bed with Mariah Carey or with Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. You go to bed with like the superstar, the diva, but then you wake up and it's just Mariah. And it's hard to live up to the, the sweet, sweet fantasy of it all.